Hello. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Hi. There you go. It's Rum doing 76, I think. Something like um, that. And it's a, it's around, because 76 is a round number, it's a special. Yes. Um, so we've got guests. We do have guests today. Would, would the guests like to introduce themselves, please? Uh, Alice Taylor from Wonderland Blog and Make Lab. And Cory Doctorow. I write books and blogs and columns and essays. And the most famous blog you write is Craphound. That's right. <laughs> and I, I also contribute to a small, badly regarded one called Boing Boing. Boing Boing, which we've got. Sometimes links to my website, so I like it. Oh. T- t- today's topic is what are the council going to do about those pavements? So we shan't be talking about that. Um, you'll hear that there are some trains going past this particular studio. Don't worry, it's, it's, it's to be expected. And... Um, I was thinking of oiling that track so you wouldn't get the squeak. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, I figured that the train might end up blowing through the station there. <laughs> now, Again, it seems like a good idea to me. Now, on the table, we're not going to drink any, but on the table today we've got a Yamazaki single malt whiskey. Yes, Japanese scotch. But we were, we were looking at it, it's, it's, it, as you said, it's a contradiction in terms. Yep. Um, How did you come about it? Yes. Uh, I tried some, actually. Last year we were staying with some people we... Well, we didn't actually know them until we got there, but some people who we came to know on an island that I used to spend a lot of time on when I was a young person, they have since bought the island, and I've got a strong emotional connection to it, and uh, they invited us up for a week's holiday, and they had a very well-stocked booze cabinet with some of that in it, and um, I was so taken with it that I bought a bottle when we came home, and uh, not being a drinker, I haven't actually opened it. It's been we just look since at last it. summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's admiring whiskey, not drinking whiskey. <laughs> Well, I mean, do you do not drink at all, or you just not like it? I would drink. Or he has one martini and falls over. Yeah, so and I do that about once a month. Uh, it's been complicated by the fact that last January I had I had hip surgery uh, that has required me to take some fairly powerful opioids uh, after before bed after dinner. Right. And generally, I don't have any booze uh, during the day. Mm-hmm. But if I have a drink at night and then I take the powerful opioids, there's a marginal but real chance my heart will stop beating. So. <laughs> okay. Well, Since really January, my, my drinking's been that off. No, no, that's that's generally considered suboptimal. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, while we're still trapped in these fleshy bodies, it's funny you mentioned I, I, I read a number of your books, but I actually haven't read the big one, well, what I consider the, the first one, I down and out in the Magic Kingdom, which I actually started reading about a, a week ago. I'm afraid I'm pirating it. I borrowed somebody's paper copy, so you'll have to shoot me Doesn't at the end of this for, for, yeah. for pirating a, a paper copy by taking it into my house. I'm very sorry you, about you've that. Borrowed you have a tip jar, don't you? No, not for those books. Yes. But I will soon. Good. And um, so I, I, I did actually download, um, I haven't listened to it, your latest audiobook version of help from my good. friends, yeah. but I did, I did, I did, I did tip jar it, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a goody good man. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that later, I have some theories about that, as, as, as does everybody. Um, and I want to know, this, this, this Disney thing, <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, Everybody has their lacuna. I mean, Uncle Walt, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Uncle Walt and Disney. And in one respect, he's it's everything you hate, but in another respect, you have a great love for it. Would you like to discuss it? <laughs> you go first. Me? Yes. Yeah. So our first date was in Disneyland. Disneyland or Disney yeah. World? Dis- uh, Disneyland, California, yeah. and I think it was a test because I'd, <laughs> I'd never been, and I don't know how old I was, 31 or something, yeah. and I'd never been to Disney, and that was our first day. And I think if I hadn't come out of Disneyland going, oh, my God, it's amazing, Corey would never have spoken to me again. 
So I can I can have a go at why you like Disney, but right, you've you got the best like thing. Um, so yeah, so as a late com- convert, Disney for me was walking in somewhere and just seeing um, an attention to detail that is proper nerd. So it's right down to the screw heads. They are hand painted to make sure that they're just right. And like apparently the the um, uh, what the hell are they called? Imagineers went around on little wheelie boards on wheels, kneeling on them so that they would be at the height of a you know six to eight year old or whatever, and they could see what Disneyland looked at from the perspective of the kid. So it was like user centered design in in the fifties or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that level of attention to to crazy love detail is just you know. Well, I mean, I, I, I was a little, a, a little bit naughty originally because also, I mean, I think the first time I went, well, there was a family holiday. And I must have been in my late teens actually, and my, my, my we happened to be visiting relatives in America anyway, and in Florida, and my, my, I think my mum, because my brother's much younger, and they said, well, let's go. I mean, we don't really. We're here. We may as well. But you know, we we can't stand Disney. Disneyfication is a da bad word, and of course, by the end of it. Um, we're complete. Well, well, it's this weird dichotomy because on the one hand, you still hate things like the Mickey Mouse copyright act and everything that the Disney Corporation can stand for. And you're a bit suspicious of Uncle Walt and his ties to less reputable political yeah. ideologies. But on the yeah. other hand, wow. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I like Roald Dahl novels, and he was a complete creep. So yes, you know, exactly. I think it's entirely Bob, possible. Bob, no, yeah, it's entirely possible to of love course. the art and hate the artist. But for me, I'm not actually much of a fan of the movies or cartoons or anything. Just the no, part. Yes. And and I take dark rides seriously. Well, immersive environments seriously as a as a art form. And there are very few people who've ever taken Dark Ride seriously as an art form. Almost all of them have worked for the Disney company. And almost every example of a seriously uh, undertaken Dark Ride built environment is in a Disney theme park. So, that, you know, for me, that's a, that's, that's a big piece of it. It's just being in the one place where, where they actually take this stuff seriously. Walt, for all that he was a bit of a weirdo... Um, I get this, you know, when you read the biographies of him and the corporate biographies of Disney, when you get past the hagiography, what you get to is this picture of a guy who is kind of deeply unhappy with uh, the commercial world. He, he, um, he, you know, his brother was the banker. He was the, he was the kind of creative type. And who, every time they, they, they um, found a profitable technology, the first thing he wanted to do was throw it away and invent another one. Uh, or, or, you know, have someone else invent another one and see what they could do with that. That he, he really wasn't, he wasn't really interested in um, behaving in a way that maximized shareholder value. He was, beha- he was, he did a lot of what he called plussing, which is he'd go around and he'd tell people to improve things that um, weren't immediately visible or obvious. Uh, and he told them to do it even when it was pretty clear there was no commercial case for doing it, that you could never recoup more than you spent. You could never turn a profit on this effort. And I think that's actually probably the formal definition of art, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's um, adding aesthetic flourishes to a work that are, don't correspond no to a market expectation. Yeah. yeah, not utilitarian and not market-grounded. But, right? but would you say the modern Disney company is still doing that? I mean, I've read some of the blogs to which you've linked where people are complaining and saying, well, actually... The bean counters are beginning to make their presence felt, even in the parks and things like that. Well, that's been an intention with Disney forever. I mean, when you look at the um, the, the 1970s, where they the uh, after Walt died, um, there was this period during which there wasn't much investment in the parks, and they were really kind of slavishly copying the California park in Florida. 
um, Epcot is really, you can think of it as um, an effort to build a, um, an advertising-driven park. So everything mm-hmm. in Epcot was designed to be sponsored. One of the reasons Epcot has distinct and discrete areas is so that you could have uh, clear and unambiguous sponsorship. You could have a, a pavilion about life mm-hmm. sciences sponsored by one group and another one about communication sponsored by another, and that you wouldn't have to, um, you wouldn't have to negotiate where one sponsor started and the other one ended. How do you feel like advertorial? Yeah, how's that model working for them? Well, they, so they ended up having to hybridize it, right? So yeah. now when you go in, there's still sponsorship, isn't it? Yeah, but it's not as much. It's not as much sponsored anymore. They've they've had to hybridize it. For one thing, uh, the um, area that was sponsored by tourist boards that's around the lagoon, the the world showcase. That's the miniatures of the yeah. different nations of the world. A lot of those nations have since pulled out, like Norway, which was the only Nor- Nordic country there no longer underwrites it. And it's funny because one of the things that Disney did to kind of blackmail countries into not pulling their sponsorship is systematically underinvesting in the um, pavilions where they no longer had co-funding from the tourist boards. And so the Norway ride is like really out of date. When you get off, they actually um, kind of imprison you in this uh, miniature theater where they show you a, uh, a really old Norwegian tourist board movie <laughs> that hasn't been updated in forever. And Norwegian, it's still projected from a 16 million. That's right. And it's, it's an embarrassment in Norway, right? Like Norway is actually, you know, this is, this is an issue Norwegians have brought up to their, to their you know, foreign affairs ministry that it's kind of an embarrassment that, you know, the People major source of information in about Norway is, yeah, this, this horrible tourist board movie that you're imprisoned in. So it's been a moderate success. So that I really think... You know, like if you want to know why I love um, dark rides and built environments, read Down and Out the Magic Kingdom. I mean, that's 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 the well, most compact. Yeah, no, that's why I can go to the bit where he's discussing exactly why he likes the haunted mansion so mm-hmm. much, and, <laughs> and and it's. And I also read a blog why the haunted mansion is in Liberty Bell Square. That was an interesting blog. Liberty how, Square, yeah. Liberty, how it connects with the American idea of, of the Gothic and and so on. Yeah, that's Passport to Dreams, Old and New. That's uh, a woman named Foxfur who's just an absolute genius. Um, I don't know what her real name is. She's apparently working on her dissertation, a doctoral dissertation on on built environments. And she's the shrewdest design critic of any description I've ever read. The fact that she writes about Disney World makes her even more exciting. But, <laughs> but I mean, the, the, the corollary to being excited about Disney and the built environment is to be depressed about it, because I don't know if you've ever read or listened to uh, Howard Kunstler. Uh, the James. lawyer? James Howard Kunstler. He basically, he wrote... Uh, he wrote. Um, does Kunstler cast? He does Kunstler cast. Oh no! I was thinking of uh, the no. lawyer who defended Abby Hoffman. No, no, no. no he, does. He, he wrote the ge- he wrote the geography of nowhere and the long emergency in Tokyo. Oh, yeah, okay. And basically, on one hand, he's a sort of doom and gloom merchant. Oh, it's it's the end of peak oil, and we're all screwed. On the other hand, he writes very interestingly about the suburbanization of urban America and how. Disney represents this kind of this dream of the sort of environment that we wish we had on oh, yeah. Main Street, as has been said before. And then they go back to their the suburban strip mall hellhole just outside it, and they kind of wish that their real built environment were more like this. And it's kind of Celebration, never... Florida. Yeah. And... Well, no, but Celebration's not is a it... strip mall hellhole. No, 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 that's what I mean. Celebration's the one yeah. with the, all the ideals built into it. Yeah, it? and and it's a kind of. Uh, it's an interesting reboot of the Epcot idea, which was well, was Epcot was very modernist, wasn't it? it was yeah, like it was big central tower. Um, Jane Jacobs' worst nightmare, mm. uh, and and Epcot so celebration. Epcot was the original, yeah, the original was meant Epcot. to be a city. Yeah, and well, and it was a kind of it was an extension of something called Progress City, that was a miniature city built outside the the G Carousel of Progress at the 1968 World's Fair in New York, mm-hmm. or 1964 World's Fair rather, 1968, 1964. 
1964 was fair, sorry. Uh, and it was this domed city that was narrated by the the, peop, the the two robots who are the mom and dad in the uh, in the Carousel of Progress ride, and they describe things like their most welcome neighbor, their G nuclear power plant, uh, <laughs> which was quite funny. But but yeah, so they they abandoned that dream of a of a city, put it on hold for 15 years, and then built Celebration Florida 10 years, and then built Celebration Florida this new urban city. But like Baudrillard, I think he coined the term simulacrum to describe Main Street USA, the simulation of a thing that never existed, mm. right? A replica of a thing that never existed, and certainly that's Main Street USA. I mean, Marceline, Missouri, where Walt Disney was from, that that Main Street is supposed to be a representation of, by all accounts, was nowhere near as picturesque and perfect as that. But... When you have experienced something like Disney World, and then you come to somewhere well, like Hoxton, mm -hmm. and you see, on the one hand, when you turn your gaze, you might see an interesting little building, but you turn your gaze again, you see a horrible multi-story car park and something crumbling. Does it not depress you? Do you not then get the sort of yearning, oh, I wish the world were actually like this, I wish entropy would go away for a little while? Or... So Disneyland is slap bang in the middle of Los Angeles, which is yeah. one giant concrete mm -hmm. wasteland. I think, you know, like all the, the recent Disney builds have actually been, um, you know, they're like stonewashed jeans. They're pre-aged. So, you know, the, the, the um, Animal Kingdom in Florida, it's all about kind of this, this very, you know, they've, they've gone in and made picturesque cracks on the pavement. What is the council going to do about that pavement? Uh, <laughs> and they've, 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 you know, they've, they've um, painted you know, uh, uh, Bangladeshi Coca-Cola adverts on the sides of the, the, the tuk-tuks, and then they've gone in with sandpaper and aged them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Tokyo Disney is all uh, crazy-ass, you know, aged, um, weird Victorian and, uh, and Renaissance and uh, 19, uh, turn of the century New York uh, port cities that are all, like, really kind of scuffed up. And they're made to look homey and scuffed up and um, lived in with that kind of authentic feel that, that you get from a lovely cobbledy-wobbledy yeah. little alley on the Jack the Ripper tour out here in Whitechapel. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you go to Universal Studios in California, it's much more authentic. It's like a yeah. Scooby-Doo fairground. Everything was built in the 80s and hasn't been painted since. Yeah. That's right. So the Back yeah, to the Future ride really still has these grey, dough, huge-backed monitors playing the original video. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, it's amazing going around there. It really does feel like you're in, you're in a post-apocalyptic... Post post Just um, missing the zombies. ...stalker-like world. Well, the secret to making something really charming and nostalgic is to build a million of them very cheaply, wait until all but ten of them have been knocked down and lost to history, and then rescue the remainder, right? Okay. And so... You know, it's, I think it's probably too early for for um, that park to be very cute and, mm -hmm. uh, and adorable. But give it another hundred years, and it'll seem It'll be amazing. There's Prater Park in in Vienna, in the middle of Vienna. That's like that. That's um, it's an old fair, like 1950s, 1960s fairground. Florida is riddled with with crazy old 1950s and 60s oh, fairgrounds and theme parks and stuff. There's actually like a Coney lovely, Island in New York and Coney Island, yeah. Yeah, there's a lovely novel by Will Shetterly, whose father, it's a semi-autobiographical um, urban fantasy about um, a kid whose father in the 1950s moves the family to Florida to open Dogland, a theme park with 200 breeds of dog. And this is, in <laughs> fact, what Will Shetterly grew up in. He was in charge of feeding 200 breeds of dog. Uh, but in the Shetterly novel, it turns out that the um, Fountain of Life motel next door is actually owned by Ponce de Leon, 
who has in fact discovered the fountain of life and has been living there running a motel ever since. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, it, that part, I think, departs from the reality. But. There's always Blobby World, isn't there? No, Eleven <gasps> Steam Park. Which is apparently is, is now kind of decayed and falling apart. I do love those photographs. I'd love to break in and have a look. It'd oh, be amazing. Yeah. See where the, the dead elephant lies. <laughs> Japan had a bunch of um, misbegotten theme park build-outs during the um, stimulus after the big Japanese crash. They built a, 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 a beautiful and crazy benighted um, Lilliput land. So, oh, so wow. Gulliver's Travel Land yeah. with a huge Gulliver lying full out, you know, sort of eight stories tall, uh, tied down by ropes on the side of a picturesque mountain that was apparently bankrupt, like almost as they cut the ribbon. And it's like two and a half hours out of Tokyo completely off the beaten track, mm. nobody ever went there, and it's gone to really gentle decay and ruin. Oh, wow. It's apparently a lot of fun to go yeah. visit. I was, I, one of my housemates went to um, went to Chernobyl for a stalker promotional oh, trip. Wow. Oh, wow, weird. Yeah. And there's a fairground in there. Yeah, that's right, I've seen photos An of old that. one, right? Yes. Really yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Come to the Chernobyl <laughs> fairground. <laughs> um, Rob Zombie presents <laughs> Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would, you, would you turn up to a games promotion in Chernobyl? <laughs> Probably. They had, yeah. I think it's for the novelty, absolutely. And pa- 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 yes, but it really is the horror. There's it the abandoned dolls on the ground. The games promotion in Chernobyl. It's oh, absolutely. Like, it's a little yeah. like holding your, your um, Castle Wolfenstein promotion in Dachau. I, 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 you know, I went, you know I, game is I went to Camp Wolf for the uh, Call of Duty 2 announcement strip. <laughs> where was Camp Wolf? In Poland, where Hitler's bunker was, where the assassination wow. attempt took place. Really? And the presentation was in the bunker oh, with fact. widescreen monitors set up. Oh, inside Hitler's bunker. Yeah, I'm not sure if I like that one. We were driven in 1940s US Army jeeps through the woods, and there was a large branch blocking the been, path. Could have been on a long sort of train and cattle truck. Oh no, 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 no! no. They could have made it more tasteless. <laughs> and then they put, there was a branch across the road, so the first truck jumped down to pull the branch out of the way. At which point, Nazis came out of the woods, killed our drivers, and arrested us. Wow! And took us to the to the to the uh, bunkers. Wow! Wow! That's very similar to for you. Uh huh. I'm not sure was, how I would have reacted to that. That's yeah. Activision. Ooh, apparently. Yeah. Insurance for each person on that trip was astonishing. It was <laughs> Activision the most evil game company now. Well, they're the least pleasant. I thought EA was. I thought yeah, no, EA no, has yeah, lost its quite mantle. benign now. Aren't they still, yeah, aren't they still yeah. installing mandatory rootkits and uh, firing spears at your computers into your the, eyes if you're accused of pirating? Funnily enough, the DRM in, in a swings back and forth. So oh, um, yeah. I think it was um, Spore that came out with none whatsoever. No, I thought Spore came no, out Spore with was loaded. Was Which loaded. one was it? One of them came with none. I forget now. But then sometimes they have ridiculous, uh, and sometimes they don't. They're very back and forth. Um, is, is EA but no in terms of treating their staff and, and general understanding with the community they're much more popular whereas but, Activision hold that title but wasn't the Activision CEO actively promoted to be oh, yes, the Bobby most Cote. evil man in the world yeah, Bobby out of yeah. his way <laughs> I thought that was the head of what's that register as a GoDaddy uh, oh, yeah, no, the, the, the guy who's the filled himself shooting an elephant yes and he is evil oh, and everybody yeah. who hosts with GoDaddy should host with us instead because we don't kill <laughs> elephants um, <laughs> you you now with, with fewer elephant killings yes <laughs> Uh, so, who, whom do you think? Is, well, no, not the that's the, the nominative. Who do you think is the most is the most evil games company then at the moment? The most evil games company. Whom do you think it is? Well, no, it is who? Because it it's still the nominative. Sorry. So you can Yiddishify it. The most evil game company. You think it is who? Yeah. So you like it, like Yoda talking like you're Zadie. You think it is Vaya? Um, the most evil games. Is it is it is it Activision, John? Well, I, don't, I think evil is a difficult term to apply to this instance. Evil. 
Um, they're certainly the least liked, Although and they, their staff seem to be the least happy. I think who's going to turn out mm. to be the will be the one who loves Mr. Gates. One. You think he, he, Valve? Nick, 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 don't don't say it, that. Everybody yeah, is determined yeah, that don't, Valve is a secret say front that. for some evil corporation. Yeah, all of it's all suddenly, oh. Oh. and he's also. I, I put this to Gabe once when I interviewed him for for RPS. Um, Nick constantly said that he would. Oh, he'll be selling to Microsoft any day now. So yeah. I put this to Gabe, and he said, "You can tell your friend Nick that I don't want to buy Microsoft." <laughs> and that was his response. <laughs> Go, Gabe! Have they exactly. still got a Microsoft then? There is one. America. I didn't know. <laughs> I haven't paid much attention. They're in Seattle. The problem. In fact, Valve have just moved their building immediately next door to Microsoft. Oh, oh encroaching! Tower next to it. Encroaching. Yeah, I would have thought if I was in Seattle, I'd get an office next to Amazon, so it'd be easier to get my delivery. I'm sorry, but if, 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 if I had to, if I had to auto correct my nominative, I had to auto correct your subjunctive because you said if I was in, you should have said if I, uh, I were. So, so there you go. I think that's probably enough grammar. You know, you have to, you have to um, wear your clippy mask well, if you're going to correct the grammar. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I think that you. Misuse a mood. Um, you appear to be writing a suicide note. <laughs> Microsoft are doing some odd things at the moment. Didn't they announce that their primary development platform for well most of their HTML five, yeah. and all the .NET programmers are getting all upset about it and that kind of thing, which is so weird. It's like Microsoft are saying you have to be you you have to use a more open standard, and their developers are like, how dare you? We've invested. <laughs> to, 20 years into all your proprietary nonsense. Yeah. Well, I worked for three startups that went bust working on three separate uh, MSN proprietary dead-end technologies. I mean, there was this period where once a year Microsoft announced that it was replacing the internet with something. Yes. All of that. <laughs> there were startups went and chased it. Blackbird. It was Blackbird, that's yeah, right. It was yeah, going to be right. would destroy the internet. And, and, you know, none of these, surprisingly enough, ever managed to replace the internet. So, mm-hmm. so Microsoft have pivoted they pivoted. They? That's They've right. Pivoted. Everyone's favorite word these days. <laughs> pivoted. Yeah. I can't. I think. I think if anyone has to worry, it's uh, Adobe, isn't it? I mean, isn't the whole HTML5 well, apart from Microsoft? Well, yes. Also, I mean, what our friend Judge Cox says is that if Adobe were clever, they just make some excellent HTML5 authoring software right. that right. does pretty much what you can do. Make Flash app into right. HTML5. Right. Yes, exactly. Go exactly, on. and that actually works. Yeah. But the problem is, from what I can tell, I think their own Flash technologies are so terribly torturous and complicated and nobody kind of knows the source code. It takes them years just to do a 64-bit port of the thing and that kind of thing. I think their, pro- their core product is probably in trouble. Yeah, I just went 64-bit on my Ubuntu machine and the Flash performance is really screwy. Mm. Whereas the HTML5 under Firefox 4 is, is totally badass. Perfect. I saw a, a WebGL demo from one of the Mozilla people mm-hmm. uh, when I was in Toronto, and oh my fucking god, like it is astounding. It's really, really cool. What was it with it with fishbowl? No fish swimming around the bowl. No, it was like it was a um, real time rendered urban landscape fly through with uh, with with Keystone properly Keystone and perspective live video. Oh, I saw that in Falston. Yeah, they oh, showed that in Falston. Yes. It was wicked. And and they had music playing as well. And apparently the music was being played with the HTML5 ties, but it, it was also rendering a whole oscilloscope of the music, and that was done without Flash or anything like that. As and well. it's and it's all human readable ASCII source, mm. right? You just you just like control you and look at the source yeah. and can change it. Mm. Well, you see, that's the interesting thing. I for a long time I was really worried. I said, you know, where are you? Used to turn the computer and you'd have to type in your basic program. Mm-hmm. And there's none of that these days. I mean, no kid would do that. Where is that? And I suppose it is Control U. 
Yeah, that's where people will be able to get their source. And uh, that's one of the. That's yeah. I mean, that was always one of the secret, uh, you know, things that made the internet so generative. I mean, this is this is a whole Zitrain thing, right? That there's that that the um, openness and closeness are less important than generative and non-generative, and they tend mm-hmm. to go together. But uh, the fact that you can view source retype or rekey so I actually think the act of keying in a program yes uh, from an old bike magazine was a way of um, it, it it so I think the fact that it was uh, it was inaccurate and required you to go back and manually debug it. Yeah, I remember the computer magazine having 20 pages of this. That's right. Why is it saying syntax error on line 1,820? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we had a, we had an Apple II Plus and a book, you know, three inches thick mm. of, of programs you could enter in. And rekeying these things and making typos, because I was nine years old, yeah, taught me a whole ton about programs. I had a friend dictate them to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Peak. 87, combat 8392, and then you get your little game running, and the satisfaction you had at the end when it actually started. Right. My, my brain worked in such a way, I did this with Spectrum and Basic, so I'd type in mm, yeah, from, you know, the magazine, like your Sinclair or whatever, and um, type these things in, but never any of it processed, it was just a uh, of transferring text were, onto the were, next screen. You were a stenographer. Exactly, yeah. I had no, no, but I have no language skills other than English, so... Well, that, if that bit of my brain just refuses. Did you become a great typist in the bargain or anything? I'm reasonably, well, I guess I'm reasonably fast at typing, so that perhaps helps. You became a games journalist. You said, yes, yeah, that's what I'm going to type me a game in again. I'm reviewing people's I'm just going to criticise them. That's what right, I'm going right. to do instead. Ever, ever a critic. You know? I can't help unless we're all playing with yes, we're all 3D printed objects. objects. They are, well, I mean, I if they ever talk about them. create extreme like fidgeting as an Olympic exhibition, I'm bringing home the gold for kids. Well, the one you were holding, that seems to be. This is a strand beast. This is a 3D printed strand beast so did they did they begin with the origin the guy who creates the huge no, model no it started it started as a huge model and became a 3D printed strand beast mm-hmm. uh, so the, the other yes. way around yeah, no, didn't so he didn't prototype it at, no no wait, 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 so it was yeah. him who created them the no, cool no, thing no. about this is that it's it's one print there was no assembly oh my goodness but so, it doesn't work very well well it, yeah. I saw it, it did a little good. Good. Okay. It's, it's, so the joints have to loosen up a lot it's like your your little flippy thing did you leave that yeah. here yeah it's in one of my pockets uh, so there's a, there's a little flippy thing that when we got it was quite stiff, and we fidgeted with it so much that it's now super loose. The it's dice nice. are cool, but they don't actually they don't work very well as dice. They do work as awesome caltrops though. <laughs> that worked. Sixty. Excellent. It's a D sixty. Looks more like a It's a D ten, but it's a percentile. Okay. For people who can't multiply by ten. No, it's a, a huge proportion of the society. Yeah. So um. How much is a 3D printer? Can can you buy one? Well, there's one in that box. Okay. We haven't opened right. it yet. The, between $1,200 and 800000 Okay. And so that one in the box is $800,000. This is exactly... No, they're between 500 bucks. I mean, you can buy, really? you can buy yeah. a, a RepRap kit for 500 That's bucks. true. That's true. Yeah. And what's sort of... That's printing in the cheapest plastic, I assume. Yeah, well, that one is intended to print all the non-electronic components for replicating itself. I was going to say, is is it not when the printer can print itself entirely? Is that not the singularity? Have we not reached peak to that point? It's one of the singularities. <laughs> I don't know. I think That's I the, think the, the trick you is keep going on about this bloody singularity. We're not going to get a singularity. It's just going to also <laughs> gently decay. Right. 
I'll wrestle. Can a printer? I think the question is not can the printer print itself. That's no singular. I think can the printer print something better than itself? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's including the the electronics, not just the mold. Right. And that's the like. I mean, that's the the kind of the 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 cheap and dirty nano future, right? You build a machine that can build like itself half the the size, and then Mm -hmm. you then that machine can build a copy of itself half the size, and eventually you end up with something. We're all living in underground scale. bunkers while the alien, while the well, robots the goes, stalk yeah. the world. And you have a new short story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your your your, your lady fiance does um, does stuff with with nanobots, doesn't she? No, she does nano uh, micro. It's kind of nanobiology, which is not nanobots. To everyone's disappointment. I always get disappointed. Oh, you work with nanobots? No, nanobiology. Nanobots stuff that, that the Lord Jesus created rather than. <laughs> 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 I mean, you're you're stuck with na- biological nano assemblers. I mean, we all are, yeah, so mm-hmm. including a bunch of non-human ones, right? Like a hundred times more non-human Parasite. cells in your body than human ones. Probably, and even the human cells were pretty much a symbiosis with some viruses and things. Mitochondria, yeah. yeah. She, she well, she was looking at uh, transfer of nanoparticles across the placental barrier. Is what she was doing. Sadly, placental they do. Awesome. Indeed. Awesome. Sadly, they do. Well, they do, but they're wondering if there is there any negative consequence to that. And what's that? Oh, it's science. So it'll but be you have to read her. You'll have to read her paper that was published in Nature. <laughs> Carbon nanotubes are new uh, asbestos. Oh, yes. Nice. Yeah, I've heard that actually. Carbon nice. Hmm. Well, this is going to be. You've also written about this, but this is also going to be the the new frontier for intellectual property fights. Uh, uh, three three D. That's an unique way of pronouncing. You have to phrase. say it like that um, to, to show the withering quote marks. Um, and then the three D models and three D printing are going to be a. A, a, a massive feast for the lawyer lions, aren't they? Yeah, well, I... I yeah. You go ahead. Yeah. No, you So stop. the thing I'm actually more worried about is that in general, we have a, a regulatory motif, which is that we used to regulate devices before they left the factory by specifying what characteristics they would have because they had some analog barrier to their characteristics. So a radio could only do... You, the frequencies that its crystal could vibrate at, right? Well, or or like it's a CB radio, or it's a, a walkie-talkie, or it's a air traffic control radio, or it's a radio telescope. Yeah. And and now we can redefine radios and software in the same way that um, we used to regulate copying, partly by assuming that anyone who had a copying device was like had a million-dollar factory somewhere. And um, we could tell them what they could and couldn't do with their copying device. And the same thing is true with, with um, apparatus, that we used to assume that apparatus was, was complicated to make and that uh, there would be a limited number of places to put a regulation in and so that we could regulate an apparatus without regulating the whole world because only a small number of people could make solid-state chemistry components or something. And now that's, that's not true. Now all of those things, uh, copying devices, uh, radios... 3D fabrication facilities, they're all um, essentially tied to general purpose computers, and every rule that we attempt to impose, uh, for example, to control copying, becomes a rule that is imposed on general purpose computers altogether. Uh, so now, or, or radios, you know, when we say, okay, all devices capable of emitting, uh, of being a radio, uh, need to be have governors fitted so that they can interfere with air traffic control signals, which sounds on its face to be a perfectly reasonable thing, eventually actually turns your radio regulator, Ofcom, into a regulator of the characteristics of every PC in the world, because every PC in the world is potentially uh, a radio. Mm-hmm. So what I'm really worried about is not just copyright fights with, uh, with 3D printing, but that 
uh, over and over again that there will be large numbers of people who have legitimate and illegitimate beefs with the things you can do with a 3D printer, and the first remedy they're going to reach to is, can we make a computer that can run all the programs except the programs we don't want it to run? And we can't. And in the attempt to do so, we're going to increasingly build computers that um, are designed to run code that their users can't stop and that users don't want, and also designed not to allow the users to run code of their own choosing. And, you know, so you see that like already. Apple patenting well, that. IPads um, and well, Apple is really important yes. because already yeah. they're very happy to do but, but Nintendo, too. I mean, this has been the games model for a long time, and there's the 3DS, you know, that... that uh, you know, to see an example of a computer that like runs code that you don't want it to run and stops you from running code that you do want to run, the 3DS uh, associates with a network even if you ask it not to. When it finds a network connection, it tries to download firmware even if you ask it not to. It then patches its firmware even if you ask it not to. And if it detects that you've done anything that would allow you to run unauthorized code, it bricks the device. Right, so even if you ask it not to, even if you ask it not to, destroy the device. So you know, this is such a this is like. It's such a, a bad idea, and the proposals, and because it doesn't work, right? It won't work. People will jailbreak it and figure mm-hmm. out how to do it. The proposal is always: can we can we move this from the firmware level down into the chip? Can we move it like lower and lower in the stack so that it becomes part of the the, right. the fabric of of the information society? And I, I've seen proposals already that you know, like the FCC when they were looking at, at software-defined radios, said, should we should we fit? every computer that's capable of being a radio with a trusted computing chip that audits which code is running on it and stops unsigned code from running. Treacherous computing. Is Treacherous computing, yeah. Uh. Yeah, I, you know, so, so the, the problem is that once you start fitting out all general purpose computers with, with governors, with spyware and with, with uh, controlware, that it starts to... It, that, that you start to infect lots of areas that you didn't think you were going to when you started out. You know, I'm a member of the Walkman and iPod generation, so I will almost certainly lose my hearing before I am ready to die, yeah. which means that I'll have a hearing aid. And that hearing aid, I'd be surprised if it weren't a digital general purpose computer, and it'll probably do lots of cool things. It'll probably have a 100,000-hour buffer, and it'll have Bluetooth, so I won't need a headset anymore, and all the rest of it. But if it's running a general purpose computer in an era in which general purpose computers have to be fitted out with software, with, with a design that, that allows software to run even if I don't want it to and prevents me running my own code, then you've now got a recipe for like literally putting voices in your head. Yeah. Right? But also, or stopping you hearing things that are really yeah, being said. I, I, I Listening that, to music yeah. you haven't paid for. I, also, I hope the ghost of Jack Valenti just makes an awful shrieking sound <laughs> in your ear when there's no proper watermark music. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, I, I, I really do think that that's the, that's the big, weird, crazy existential threat that we're in the middle of. That absent any good regulatory response to the, some of the real problems that will arise from general purpose computing. Charlie Strauss's new book is full of 3D printers that produce solid-state meth labs. Um, <laughs> and, you know, in that, in that world, what do you do uh, to actually prevent real harms? Uh, and if you can't think of anything, then what you end up trapped in is what I call the security syllogism, which is something must be done. I've done something. There, something has been done. Yes. Right? So... <laughs> And, 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 and of course, as um, uh, Lowell's are proving, that's very effective. Yeah, 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 you're right, yeah. So, so I do worry that we, do, we, we should start thinking of what we can do to actually resolve some of the harms. You know, Bunny Wang, the guy who broke the Xbox, uh, he, um, 
when I talked to him about the Salford Fund radio stuff during the FCC uh, in, uh, investigation, he said, well, you know, if we've all got Salford Fund radios in our pockets, which we will, which we increasingly do, they'll be capable of, of locating and triangulating collectively on emitters that are interfering with with radio traffic in general, and that might be someone who's running bad code or someone who's deliberately doing something bad, but it might be someone whose Hoover has, you know, defective shielding. And all of those things are things that we as users of the spectrum have an interest in discovering. And we could, for example, as people of goodwill, send reports to this, the CRTC or the FCC or Ofcom saying, we've detected bad emitters in this place, and they could use those to figure out where to go and intervene. Well, I suppose the problem then becomes a solution. The fact, the fact, the very fact of the complete free ubiquity becomes part of the solution. That's right. Yeah, so instead of, being a trans- instead of it being trivial to regulate what they do as they leave the factory and transcendently hard to regulate them once they're in the field, you reverse it. It's, it's impossible to regulate what they can do after they leave the factory, but once they're in the field, it becomes trivial to find the ones that are doing bad stuff. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I, you talked about the singularity. I reckon singularity is going to happen. I read in some... I remember when I was young and I read my mum my had a collection of magazines called Understanding Science, you know, the 60s, very optimistic science. And one of them talked about a, an experiment, very early experiment, where they bombarded a lead nucleus with, um, with protons and neutrons, and they turned it into gold. And at that point, I thought, right, well, the dreams of the alchemists are here. I thought, well, why doesn't everybody just make gold out of lead? They said, well, one means that the energy required means it costs a lot more than, right. than gold. Digging gold. Than digging gold. Yeah. But I thought, the day we get free energy is the day we can pretty make any element we want and then combine those elements into any form we want. But then, of course, then you have the, a much bigger problem than just, you know, these radios. Can, well, somebody's going to print themselves a large amount of plutonium, aren't they? And, and, and things like that. And then, so then you, you've got a slightly bigger problem of regulation. Well, I mean, Please I, don't I, print plutonium. I think that, like, you're going to end up just with... I think that all of the stuff that we think of is insufficiently weird, right? I mean, you know, if you look at what people worried about in the context of computers in the, in the 70s and 80s, it's not lulsec. It's no. not... Um, griefers, it's not spam. I mean, nobody really anticipated spam in the, in the form that it's in now. Um, root kits. Oh, hey, Luke. Uh, that sort of thing. We're recording a podcast. And then Luke is one of Alice's uh, business partners. Yeah, this is Luke. He, he worked on Little Big Planet. So it's oh, really good. This, 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 is, this is John. He wrote about Little Big Planet. I didn't, because it was on PlayStation and I wrote about PC. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. me. Thank you. So... So I, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you think the singularity will happen? Because John does keep going on about. It. I don't keep going on about. It. I just found out what it was quite recently, man. And I thought it's it's exactly. just comment about printers. That was all. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that our vision of the singularity is insufficiently weird. I also think right. the notion of um, of uh, transcendence through technology, uh, neurotranscendence through technology, is reductionist. So this notion that we just. Uh, you know, you, you replace part of the brain with, you know, that we'll figure out how to, how to prosthetically replace an optic, an optic nerve, and then we'll figure out how to prosthetically replace a hippocampus, and then we'll figure out how to prosthetically replace, a, you know, this and that and the other, and the corpus callosum, we'll come up with artificial corpus callosi, and so on, and, you and eventually you'll just have a, the ship of a brain. Problem. At what point mm. is the ship right. being the yeah. original ship? But I just think that, I think that that's reductionist. I mean, we may, we may produce something that thinks it's you, we may produce something that can that we can't that can pass a Turing test that way, but um, it it won't pass the U Turing test. So there's a spe- specific Turing test which is 
um, ask me to do something and ask the copy of me to do something. And um, if the copy of me can't do the thing that I can do or vice versa, then it's not a faithful copy. Well, it's funny, in your, in your book, Down Out, Magic Kingdom, you, you got to that book where they were discussing the philosophy of when a clone is created after they die mm-hmm. and their memories are re-imprinted on the clone and so on. Is it the same person? And they're about to have the big philosophical discussion, and then oh, uh, it gets a bit cloudy, and then we move. Yeah. Damn you! I want to hear. I was, I, was, <laughs> I was sat in a pub once with a couple of people who didn't know each other, both who worked for Future, and what they were talking about. They both studied philosophy. They realised, and they were discussing their um, dissertation titles. And Tom Francis said, "Oh, my dissertation was um, the moral implications of teleporting clones." To which this other girl Tanya went. My dissertation was the moral implications of teleporting clones. It was like the dissertations were clones themselves. But I mean, that's why whenever I watch Star Trek, I was always annoyed. Every time you go into the into, mm. into the um, beamer, you're you're dying, and then a, uh-huh. a twin's being born. Do, do, are you happy that a twin's being born? But then, of course, you know, you do get into the philosophical implications. Well, I mean, your cells are being replaced constantly anyway. Mm. So the fact that it happens Step very into quickly, the does it matter? It's, it's like, well, I think that the transporter is a is a great example of insufficient weirdness. In that, if you had a transporter, for example. Well, I, I maybe the reason that there aren't any seams in those costumes is they don't use the loo. Because I always assumed if you had a transporter, right. you could just boom, beam the poo out of your colon, right? Um, but did, you, did you not watch the episode where the baby got... There, there was a the baby was... Breach and they teleported the baby out. No, that's was, awesome. It was in, yeah. <laughs> but but why in. would you ship a giant tin can full of air around, right? Why wouldn't you just send something the size of a football that goes into orbit around wherever it was you wanted to explore and has a faster than light link with you know the human beings on earth and then it beams 180 copies of captain kirk onto onto the planet um they all go around and execute the mission yeah. it's making continuous copies of them if any of them die it just reinstantiates them and then uh, when they're done it annihilates them all does a diff and merge operation sends all the most sal- salutary characteristics back to uh back to to earth where they can be aggregated and and goes on i mean you don't really need like to like sending human beings around is incredibly no, inefficient. Would there still be snogging blue ladies? Right. Well, then there's the whole exogenetic, you know, um, uh, the, the fact that they all seem just compatible enough. Yeah, <laughs> they all have they all have their bits in the right place. <laughs> yes. They all they did. Oh, I was about to make a really geeky reference to a Star Trek movie, but I can't bring myself to do you it. You have to now because you've. Well, it's just that. when they that in Star, the only good Star Trek movie, Star Trek Six, when they kick the. Um, the guy in the knee, and it says not everyone keeps their genitals in the same place or something like that. Ha! So they did it once. Very they occasionally nod to that, but they always fall, fall prey again because they introduce too many things where they can't allow themselves to discover the fully weird implications of the technology because basically it would destroy the notion of plot. Right. Well, and why do they have merchants? What's rare? Well, exactly. <laughs> if, you can, if you can, like, well, if you can. Latinum is rare. Latinum. Is, only, is, that the, is that the rare thing? Yeah. So why is it everything based on it's Latinum? It's the only thing you can't replicate. So, so why is the entire economy grounded in No, it's my wife. She, she, she got me watching all these things. So, so why isn't like why isn't the entire thing just Latinum? The Ferengi economy is. It is. But they, what do they, people <laughs> buy and sell for Latinum? What do people buy and sell for Latinum? More Latinum. It becomes a bit recursive. Yeah, it does. I mean, I guess services. No. Oh, Sir, love there that, you that's go. human, 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 human stories. No, but couldn't you just like? Couldn't you just beam? They buy intellectual property. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> or, or, well, you know who wrote this is, is Carl Schrader in, in Ventus, which has this world that's um, where where uh, copyright is embedded in things like uh, like plants, and um, 
you can't see the plants unless you've bought a license. But the license holders are light speed lagged and may not exist anymore. And so um, well, people are, are like bucks. you're you're like sharecropper in your own sensorium, and the rights and the the rights holder has disappeared. Yeah, you've got absentee landlords to your to your sensorium. So that sounds like the uh, logical conclusion to Project Xanadu, actually. <laughs> Which yeah. it's funny when I first read about that, and it was written about in a very kind of utopian leftist way. And I thought, this is a corporatist nightmare that he's inventing, and I hope he never succeeds. Because basically, micropayments, everything, everything intimately trackable, and yeah. uh, every time, no such thing as fair use anymore, because every last letter is, um, is paid for via micropayments and that kind of thing. He's an odd duck. Mm. And, then I, and then, of course, it brings you to the larger question of intellectual property, and, or as they used to call it in the 17th century, literary property. Mm. And did you know in the 17th century here, there was a big argument between the um, stations going to the yeah, sure. and, 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 and the and authors about whether intellectual property was actually property, yeah. and whether it therefore had common law property rights and you could keep it for perpetuity and so on. And and this guy called Lord Camden, who you should look up if you haven't, um, he made Richard Stallman look like sort of a right-wing fanatic. I mean, he, <laughs> Lord he, Camden. Lord Camden. I mean, look, look up some of his statements. He sort of said, um, there is no such thing as, as literary property. And what's more, um, once an idea has been had, it cannot be owned by anybody and, um, you, and, and so on. And fascinating statements. It's, it's interesting to think that we think we're having these ideas on the cusp. Now we're having these arguments on the cusp. Now. There's a Lord Camden character on IMDb. <laughs> Probably not the same. <laughs> so, the, I mean, there's... We had these Charles Pratt's first Earl Camden. I think that what happened was that, that in the 70s, we started talking about an information economy as a, as a successor to an industrial economy. Yeah. And we had a bit of a failure of an imagination because no one could really work out what an information economy must be, except that it must be based on buying and selling information. <laughs> but the, the thing is that the growth of ICT makes exclusion progressively harder. The more, the more information and communications technology you have, the harder it is to stop information from being moved around. Mm. And so um, the more information economy apparatus you have... It gets rid of the artificial scarcity. The, the, the fewer market opportunities there are, mm. that's right, for stuff for, for buying and selling information. And so we're now in this kind of funny world where, where we're... Um, We've expanded the scope of ICT and ICT expertise. Everyone, you know, the, there's councils all over the UK teaching pensioners to type Batman Returns BitTorrent into Google. Uh, and at the same time, uh, we still have this notion that buying and selling information is is the basis of a, of a 21st century economy. So we get into we we get into terrible times trying to reintroduce artificial scarcity into the system to protect the business model that's no longer working, which basically summarizes all the problems that we've been having and all the arguments we've been having. How's it going to shake out, do you reckon? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that... that You're still an optimist? Well, I, I have a stock answer to that, which is that you have to be an optimist and that you have to believe that things can get better, and you have to be a pessimist and that you have to believe that if you don't do something, they won't. Yeah. Right? So I'm both. Uh, there are half a million results to Batman Returns BitTorrent. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. How many of them are um, uh, Trojans, though? Well, I'll tell you the solution to that, to their problem of that. How many of those will allow you to download a 70mm IMAX print and project that onto a screen? See, I think the solution is in liquidity. If you go back, you know, that can't be, that, that you can't get that replicated. Yeah. You can't, digital projector. You can't get liquidity of it. Well, so I guess that, I mean, from a cultural policy perspective, this is, you've, you've hit the nail on the head, because cultural policy shouldn't be about ensuring that, like, 
that guy can go on making that kind of art forever. Well, exactly. It should be about like the most art possible. So you know, the 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 people who objected that home viewing would kill cinematic experience have actually discovered through a combination of new revenue streams from home viewing, DVD DVD sales, and right. cheap the cheap credit bubble that there's a whole market for making three hundred million dollar movies uh, that. Uh, you could never recoup with mere cinematic. And if Jack, if, if Jack Valenti had had his way, I mean, what he said, he said, home videotaping is to... No, the VCR Hollywood. is to the American film industry as the Boston Strangler is to a woman home alone. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Yeah. And, and therefore, and that's what they say every time in new technology, yeah. including modifications of the printing press to make it cheap to print things. But, but the, the point, though, is, that, is not just that they were wrong. The point is... That um, the advent of the of the DVD player made it possible to make, or the and the VCR made it possible to make three hundred million dollar movies. So they weren't yeah. they were necessary but not sufficient. Cheap credit bubble helped yeah. too, but the three hundred million dollar movie couldn't exist without the DVD market. And yeah. if what you're saying is, oh, we'll just have IMAX screenings and we'll abandon the the aftermarket because we can't control copies to the sitting room, then we can't have the three hundred million dollar movies. Well, I don't mind that. And and that's <laughs> the point is we have to be willing to say, well, the way we got three hundred million dollar movies was by saying, fine, if you can't make movies anymore in the way that you've been making them now because we're going to allow VCRs to exist think of something else or someone else will think of something else well exactly I mean what you say is if you'd had your way you say to, to, to Jack Scott if you'd had your way you wouldn't be having these this problem anyway because there wouldn't be any DVDs or video recorders to video videos to worry about people yeah, pirating exactly. because they wouldn't exist because you would have banned them and yeah. strangled them at their birth but so. it may be that we lose a form right I mean that that's that's an entirely possible outcome of technological well, change it's happened before uh, it's happened before, like, we don't have magazine serials anymore. That has a lot to do with technological change. So the, they were the dominant form of uh, uh, sort of popular literature for decades. Do you ascribe scrolls out of, outside, of lit- outside of religious communities? Well, or, or, you know, nobody built cathedrals after the Protestant Reformation, mm. right? Um, but, but we got lots of churches, and that's the important part, mm. right? That, you know, the, anyone who argued... We build theme parks. And we build theme parks and we build giant mega churches, giant mega evangelical churches. But anyone who argued that the Protestant Reformation was bad for religion as opposed to cathedrals would be talking out of their ass. And the problem right now is we equate $300 million movies with movies. And so we say, well, the fact that YouTube can produce 49 hours of video a minute is irrelevant because it threatens 30 hours a year. Well, ex- well, well exactly, movies. because before the mid-80s, there, no, there were no good movies. As That's, right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and so You're not going to see pretty- Transformers 3? <laughs> Are you sure? Harry Potter and the sequel of Great Profitability. <laughs> so, so yes. What's quite funny is that people who are supposed to be arch market-driven capitalists are the ones who are making the most protectionist arguments. Well, and also arguing that the, the new, their competitors don't count because they're yeah. doing it more cheaply. An industrialist yes. who argues, "Oh my gosh, my competitors have figured out how to spend less money, therefore they're invalid," is a weird industrialist. I thought entirely. it was interesting what you were saying about the, the 3DS as well. Because I think the, the DS was just such a phenomenon because it was so easy. The, easy because you could easily hack it. Yeah. You could mm-hmm. easily get um, a card to play any game you wanted. Um, which seemed to encourage huge numbers of sales Take and spreading up, yeah. of words. Mm-hmm. It was one of those fantastic, it was a, almost as prolific, it was almost as obvious that piracy was causing its success as the days of the spectrum and, and, yeah. and well, the beginnings of the PSP things. had the same kind of incredible hardware sales, every game was piratable. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, somebody did a correlation between the fungibility of the platform and the sales of the hardware and so on, and they found that there was almost a direct correlation. The, the, the less hackable the platform, the, the more... Oh, yes, absolutely. This I suppose it's really only, no Apple, doubt only Apple thus far. Are, and, um, but I don't know anyone who owns a 3DS. 
but no one seems to care about them. I know, Tim, I just found that Martin buys, buys every new. Um, so video games do you think are it's dead in the water? I don't I, see. I just don't see why. I have no inclination to buy one. I certainly neither. don't now. I know that I can't import I the obscure Japanese them, But games. all the kids I've seen, and that's a handful, they've all got 3D bit turned off. Yeah, I can't imagine how long I would keep it. It does hurt your eyes. Oh, it's miserable. Yeah, no, I don't. Um, like it. So, for instance, with my with my uh, DS Lite, I bought. I would. Im- I imported the first um, Phoenix Wright games because they were coming. Right. They were coming with the English translation set, but they weren't being released in the UK in any yeah. form. But now, when the next of that happens, I can't play that game. I'm not allowed to yeah. import a game from Japan anymore. So the restrictions have become so great. Well, the, the thing's pretty much useless to me, especially since for work. Well, by the end of the J- Game Boy Advance, the publishers were sending out the ROMs for review. Right. It became, it, <laughs> the piracy became so prolific they knew everyone had the card. Wow, that's um, awesome! But they're sending out the ROMs. But the, there's nothing for the for the 3ds. I can't. I just don't see how it's going to survive. So video games are a really interesting example because historically regulatory responses haven't been available to them because regular like most of the time, if video game makers went to regulators and said, "If you don't help us, we'll die," they'd have, they'd have said, "Great, yeah. you're going to die. That's yeah. awesome. You like people are terrible." That's so right. Yeah. Awful things for so it's yeah. not like video game makers weren't worried about piracy. I mean, they still fetch about it all the time. But but what they did. Uh, had to do what is adapt instead of getting regulation, and so you know I think Warcraft is a direct outcome of yep. uh, of concerns about piracy. That basically you can't pirate Warcraft because it's uh, or you can't plot pirate WoW because it's it's a multiplayer game. Even if you steal well, you the can, DVD, you can play on you pirate service. Yeah, can, but can you play Warcraft though? You can. Play World of Warcraft. Yes, they won't yeah. join up to the rest. They're, they're behind yeah. on the latest builds and so yeah. forth. I mean, but you, they you are... basically can't. Is the point? Yeah. You can yeah. if you're Uber. Oh no, Uber absolutely. And the same, but even something can't. like you know, even something as simple as Minecraft, you can't play. It's really difficult to play pirated Minecraft because you've got to log into a server. And... Yeah. Right. So, so yeah, they, they, yeah. basically, yeah. they responded by, by making a game where the majority of the interaction was collective, and they had a choke point where they could collect a rent. And you yeah. know, someone will figure out how to make obviate that. I mean, Bnet D kind of did it. Uh, although they, they sued successfully for it, but eventually that won't be controllable and there'll be so many pirate servers that they'll innovate something else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing about Warcraft is that it made more money from, for, for game developers than they'd ever made. And yeah. so, you know, if we'd listened to, again, if we'd listened to them, they would have been, they would have been wrong. But it did sort of kill the big budget package software standalone game, though. But WoW doesn't seem replicable, that's the problem. Everyone else has tried to launch against it and has failed. And the subscription model seems pretty much over. Blizzard can keep mm. doing it forever, but everyone else is having to launch free-to-play now to really succeed. So it doesn't seem that it was replicable. So it, it But that doesn't like, matter, right? What right. matters is that we now have someone else doing something that works for them. Right. Uh, you know, it's not... The idea isn't People to... People are, so, so, are so scared of evolutionary competition, which is supposed to be the keystone. Well, that's, I thought we were supposed to all be cheerleaders. Well, yeah. That's mm. now considered a big problem where you need state, statist... Monopoly but protection. I think the, the biggest success stories in gaming now are the, are the indies who are releasing DRM free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what did Channel Four Games do with DRM? What was there? None. None at all. Yeah. And that was I mean, most of them weren't and PC, no, but the one or two that were, yeah, DRM. No geocoding too, right? No, no need. Didn't do anything. Well, geocoding is even more obnoxious. At least no, DRM, they have some sort of. They can they can have a pretense of a story, but geocoding is just. Ostensibly and explicitly obnoxious. Yeah. Well, um, Little Big Planet had to. Little Big Planet Two had to ship a UK only SKU versus just a general blanket European one because people would import. Co- it was so easy to import copies from 
um, Germany or some place because of the currency difference that they oh, started selling. Arbitrage. Yeah, they that for LBP two they only wanted to sell like your uh, UK versions in the UK. So that it was cheaper on the continent, or yeah, yeah, that's right. Why was it cheaper on the continent? I'm not sure. Just because just British, British people are suckers, and I think also marketing, like <laughs> sales. But that's usually the thing. But then, like but then again, it, again, down. those people who propelled free, open markets, globalization. Hold on, the globalization is supposed to work so that we we should have the power to go to the cheapest <laughs> yeah. market. You know, yeah, you, really. you get the cheapest slave labor that you can yeah. get anywhere. Why can't we get the cheapest products? Like there is really not source for the goose, but it is source for the gander going on. But we're, we're a nation that doesn't care, though. If you look, uh, we're, we're so ignorant of this. If you look at the pound for dollar comparison, they you know the numbers are the same, but the symbol changes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and no one in the UK is rising up against that because yeah. we don't seem to care. So they can. So no, you, you do, but, but then you all rip off Britain and then you forget about it. That's the. But people don't know that they're paying twice as much for a DVD. Or... They don't read their Adam Smith do. That's the problem. <laughs> but the, so those closing those borders down is actually really easy for them to do. Mm. Um, How much longer though? Because you can log into Amazon.com now and say, hold on. Oh, oh actually, Amazon.com is getting worse, not better. I think for for region coding and for. No, but obviously you can log on and see the prices. Oh, you can, can see say, the prices. Oh, that's true. But it also is annoying. You say, hold on, why can't I order that? Yeah. I've got my Kindle. Why is it saying I'm not allowed to get that book? Yeah. Um, I, I was found, I found out that I, I'm, I'm not allowed on. It wasn't actually my kid, but somebody wanted to buy. Um, Plants vs. Um, Zombies. No, the Amazon no, store. Um, US only. Johnny John wanted to buy John Hodgman's book. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that thing. Sorry, you're not allowed to buy that in the UK. Why? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a funny thing where I was. I, I wanted to buy, buy an MP3 album. I'm, I have an uh, Amazon UK MP3 account with my UK credit cards. It wouldn't let me buy them because I was in Canada. So I went to the States and I tried to buy it on Amazon.com and it said, you can't buy them because you have a British credit card. So basically it was, you know, even though I was in the territory, I couldn't buy it, which was quite amazing. And and of course, BitTorrent doesn't care where you are. Well, you've made made points about your own books Mm -hmm. where you've, well, also before that, who was it who who said... um, as long as piracy offers the best um, oh, customer it's, experience, it's Gabe Newell. Yeah. Gabe Newell, the Valve said, "So long as piracy offers a better customer experience than the retailers, the piracy deserves to win." And and, and it's similar to what what, what, yeah. what, 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 what you you said before about your own trying to get your own books published without DRM. Now the sob story that Apple and Amazon give is, "Oh, we would love to give you stuff without DRM, but those nasty publishers keep forcing us because mm-hmm. they're so scared." You said you you called their bluff, and you yeah. got a big publisher to say, "Well," and they wouldn't do. It. Yeah, Random House Audio couldn't get Amazon or Apple to drop the audio the DRM from the audiobooks, and their uh, Apple iTunes and uh, Amazon Audible are control ninety percent of the audiobook market. Which is why my, my audiobooks come out on C D there. Sounds like a cartel to me. Yeah. But the regulators won't be looking at that. Anyways, talk about three D printing. Huh? Okay, so what's the what's the so I all I know is that you're planning to make dolls. Toys. Toys. We're starting with dolls. Starting with okay. Yeah. So, but, you have to start with something else because my daughter's scared of dolls. So. <laughs> dolls slash action figures because boy dolls are called yeah, action good. figures, but so they're what, basically the, exactly the same. What's the goal? Well, the goal was to make um, a system, whether it's a game or uh, a shop or both, where you you know you create your avatar and you go around and you play stuff, but you can also make a toy out of that from the same data set instead of right not right mm-hmm. normally. You wait, and something's a smash it, and then you get some factories in China to make a toy. Because when I saw you lecture, you were talking about how 
and I, I lament this and you celebrate it, but so many modern games are about playing dress-up now. So you take your WoW character, right. and or you take your TF2 character, and it's about what hat he wears, even right. though it's a first-person game and you can't <laughs> see that hat. Well, so yeah, I go around pointing out that most, many, many games are giant shopping and dress-up games, mm. just, just so that we don't just categorise um, dress-up and shopping games as girls' games. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Right, so the boys always go forgotten. Um, so yeah, it's basically examining that. And we were looking at 3D printing, and I've been looking at it for a while because Corey's desk is covered in these awesome things. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those moments where we were like, well, you know, there's the turning your game avatar into a 3D print, which Figure Prints is already doing in the states. Okay. So Ed Fry is the guy, one of the guys behind Xbox, um, started a company called Figure Prints, and you can have your World of Warcraft you character. You didn't patent quickly enough. Right. Well, there's, <laughs> the patents is a whole other story. <laughs> so, um, so that exists, but that can't be a toy because he. Um, that company uses he prints, in, he prints in cyanide there's a bunch of different materials <laughs> yeah. right so if you want to print colorized at source uh, you, it's this certain goop that Z Corp produce nobody particularly knows what's in it but if you tip it over it'll smash right into okay. the pad so it's perfect for creating a sculpture under a bell jar yeah, of a thing cool, yeah. and it turns out that when you've spent four years in World of Warcraft maybe you want something to show for it absolutely yes. well. so yeah so they're doing quite well and I think they've just moved well they have just moved to um, Xbox Live avatars, so you can now print out your Xbox Live. Okay. So there's that, and so we're investigating and building something similar, but trying to move into the actual bouncy plastic, mm-hmm. bouncy plastic, uh, a toy that you can drag around and play with and drop and customize and print out. So I, I, I won't kill babies to death. <laughs> shouldn't do. This is basic nylon polyamide. Nothing wrong with it. So. Is the idea that this is something that will be viable when people have printers in their own home, or you'll ship the no, printed? No, we're, we're both. Right. Both. So, again, like we, you, depending on which type of printer you choose. So, for MakerBot over here, which is this $1,200 um, take it out of the box, stick it on your desk mm-hmm. thing, there's a, you'd optimize for that. So, the, MakerBot produces this very, not one of these things striated. here, striated ABS plastic. So, you can kind of hear. Yes. that material oh, yeah. as opposed to that material yes. and so this would be awesome for printing out little kind of rough and ready pieces that you would click together to kind of make an object so one of the things they print all the time is the Lego minifig I was going to say is this not the death of Lego no Lego love this stuff I oh, reckon they do? Yeah. Okay, well it's ABS plastic which is what I, I think Lego no I know Lego blocks are made in um, and Lego are definitely I'm sure Lego have a whole internal department they looking at 3D yes. printing oh yeah it's a mistake to think that Mattel or Lego aren't at the forefront of this digging technology. around yes. yes yeah like they probably are just waiting to see somebody prove it rather than yeah. take the risk themselves okay yeah um that would be my guess. So the thing with the toy industry is I read that 95 and then I read 96% of the world's Western toy industry is made in China. So a lot of the established setup, you know, have a lot of invested mm-hmm. systems over there and it's going to take a big, it's going to take a lot of work and money to, to move. So there'll be little innovation departments looking at this stuff and we are a little innovation department as well. <laughs> but we want to tie it in with games. Big, so, huge, evil, mega corporate I, I hope uh, so. Yeah, without the evil bit. Oh, so we're, yeah, do, we're doing a bunch of things. We're designing English some world. stuff to be printed, if you want to print it. So mm-hmm. the basic doll or whatever we come out with first will be um, Creative Commons. Uh, we want to you know, we want to encourage creativity. We want people who want to get their hands dirty to be able to get their hands dirty, mm-hmm. but also people who maybe um, 
don't aren't blithe old modders or whatever mm. to be able to have a go. So, so do you have a game concept in mind? We are, yeah. Are you not we we have yet? Mul- we had, no, oh, okay. It would be way too early okay. to talk about it. But yeah, there's a number of game concepts in mind. But yeah, it has a very simple level. It's the idea that you can create a character that can wander around mm. in a game and mm. that can also be printed out and carried around in a pocket. Okay, and then somehow be brought together in some sort of augmented reality. There's that, and then the dolls come to life. Yeah, that's true. With LEDs, bit of Arduino, right? Bit of Arduino, voice chip, couple of LEDs, bingo, bango, bongo. Your dolls walking and talking. Yeah. The great thing about this type of manufacturing is that, um, you know, the sky's the limit. If you, we we don't have to manufacture like five hundred thousand of these and store them in a warehouse. So if you want to tick the box that says fully articulated robot doll who can $3,000 build it for me print it out of titanium yeah. then no problem we'll charge you for it here comes a Terminator but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is how it ends like, this, <laughs> yeah. is, this is the big back to that stop it through lots of grey goo <laughs> fight between the two of them back to <laughs> that about the end here I think we've rambled on for too long haven't we? I think we've rambled on for a perfect length of time which is too long which is good excellent um, if you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, please email podcast at rumdoings.com. You're talking so quietly, it's barely registering. Or, or visit our Usenet news group. Usenet has always been a mystery to me. I've stared at it a few times and tried You're to get it. Until you've got a Fidernet feed. Yeah. Or a, or a BitNet feed. Yes. I'm on Easy News. Or a OneNet feed. Yeah. Please oh. post on our bulletin board. That's yes. right. At Rum Doings and all that. Um, huge thank you to Corey Doctor and Alice Taylor for agreeing to do this. And surprise guest visitor Luke Petrie. Absolutely. Yes. It's very exciting. Excellent. And we shall upload this rambling at some stage. At some sort in the future. That's useful information to everyone listening that it will have been uploaded. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.